the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. For God to remember someone is to, and watch this, is to tangibly demonstrate his faithful love and intervention to provide for their needs, to meet their needs. That's what it means to remember. Not that he forgot and now it comes to his mind. Now, let me ask you something. Have you ever felt like God has forgotten you? Maybe theologically, you know that's impossible. You know your Bible. You know that the Bible teaches that God will never forsake his own. But have you ever felt that way, that God has just forgotten you? He's working in other people's lives, but you haven't seen him work in your life. You're going through some deep trial, and you feel like God has forgotten you. He doesn't seem to be doing anything for you. You feel alone. You feel abandoned. You feel like your prayers are going nowhere. You feel forsaken by God. And even though you know that that's not true, you feel that way. Well, our study this morning ought to be of great encouragement to you because it offers hope. about that phrase, but God remembered Noah? From a human perspective, it almost sounds as if for for a brief period of time, God forgot about Noah and then, oh, Noah, you know, remembered his situation. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse, where we are studying Noah and the flood with our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. And among other things, we will talk about the deliverance of Noah. It seems as if God has already delivered Noah, and he has, but there is more to the deliverance than just the ark. The floodwaters have started to subside, and life is about to get very interesting for those inside the ark. Here is our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, with today's Verse by Verse. Story is told of Professor John Dewey that one day as he was walking across a college campus with a friend, a little boy came up to him and asked him for a nickel. And Dewey gave the boy one, but afterward he said in a somewhat irritated tone to his friend, he said, you know, the trouble with the boys in this city is that they're always asking you for money. But isn't that your son, the friend asked? Dewey looked around, thought for a moment, and said, why, yes, I guess it is. He had forgotten who his own son was so involved in other things and thinking about other things. I am sure glad that our Heavenly Father isn't like that. Unlike John Dewey, God knows who his children are, and God never, ever forgets us. Jesus said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. The psalmist said in Psalm 112, verse 6, he said, The righteous will be remembered forever. 
God never forgets us. And one of the greatest illustrations of the fact that God never forgets us, especially when we're going through difficult times, is the story of Noah after the flood. So let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8, you read in verse 1 what I think sets the tone for the rest of the chapter. And here's what God says through his servant Moses. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. With these words, we really turn a new corner in our study of Genesis. The flood waters have now begun to subside, and the destruction brought about by the flood now gives way to God's deliverance of Noah and his family and the animals. And you may have thought that, well, didn't God already deliver Noah? After all, there was an ark, and Noah's floating on that. Hasn't he already been delivered? Well, Noah and his family and the animals on the ark weren't destroyed by the flood, but they're not exactly safe yet. They're not really safe yet until they actually plant their feet on dry ground, and life will begin again in some type of normal way. Have you ever imagined what must have gone through Noah's mind as he was on that ark? What must his feelings have been like as he went through that ordeal? After all, I want to bring this to your attention He's been drifting on an endless sea for almost a year. You realize that? When this ordeal is over, he will have drifted on the endless sea for 371 days. What must have been going on in his mind? James Boyce, in his commentary on Genesis, says this. Speaking of Noah, he had been a man of faith, but he was human too. And the sea is a very lonely place. Imagine drifting in a large ship, Not merely overnight, but night after night, month after month for a year, with nothing in sight. During those months, faith or no faith, Noah must have wondered whether God had forgotten him. Had God really forgotten him? His family and the animals as they floated like insignificant bits of refuse on the great tide. But God had not forgotten him, and that's what we read in verse 1. Genesis 8, verse 1 says, But... In light of all that was going on, but God remembered Noah. And the thought in the Hebrew is not that God simply recalled him as if he had forgotten him for all these months and now it came to his mind, oh yeah, I got this guy floating with his family, some animals on the sea. I better take care of them. I've forgotten about them, but now I've remembered them. That's not the thought in the Hebrew. It's not the thought whether it's the Hebrew text, which it is here, or the Greek text, because when the Bible uses the word remember, It means that God takes special care of his own. God takes special care of someone providing for their needs. Let me illustrate it to you. For example, in Judges 16.28, we read that Samson asked God for strength, the end of his life, that he might throw those pillars down upon the Philistines. And the Bible says God remembered him. And Samson actually said to God, remember me. Not that God had forgotten about him, but remember me in the sense of provide for my strength. And then there was Hannah in 1 Samuel 1.11, who was praying that God would give her a son and was so consumed with that. And the Bible says that God remembered Hannah. It meant that God met her need. God provided for her. And I think perhaps the most popular 
expression or a popular verse in the Bible that uses the word remember. Remember, Jesus is hanging on the cross and there are two thieves, one on each side of him. And one says to him in Luke 23, 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, meaning provide for salvation for me. And Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. So for God to remember someone is to, and watch this, is to tangibly demonstrate his faithful love and intervention to provide for their needs, to meet their needs. That's what it means to remember. Not that he forgot and now it comes to his mind. Now let me ask you something. Have you ever felt like God has forgotten you? Maybe theologically you know that's impossible. You know your Bible, you know that the Bible teaches that God will never forsake his own. But have you ever felt that way? That God has just forgotten you? He's working in other people's lives, but you haven't seen him work in your life. You're going through some deep trial, and you feel like God has forgotten you. He doesn't seem to be doing anything for you. You feel alone. You feel abandoned. You feel like your prayers are going nowhere. You feel forsaken by God, and even though you know that that's not true, you feel that way. Well, our study this morning ought to be of great encouragement to you because it offers hope. Genesis 8 deals with how God remembered Noah. And by way of timeless truths and principles and applications, we're going to see how tangibly God remembers us, especially in our times of difficulty. So maybe you're not going through a difficult time now, but you will, or you have, and you will again. So we want to uh, pay attention because specifically we want to see how God remembered Noah and then apply it to our lives. Or we can put it this way, based on the fact that God did remember Noah, what did he do for him? What did he do for him? Because the same thing he did for him in terms of principle, though we're not floating on a sea, he does for us. There are three things. This morning we're going to look at one thing that God did for Noah, and that is he kept his word. He was faithful to keep his word. God remembered Noah, and that meant he kept his word. Let's begin by looking at verses 1 through 3. But God remembered Noah, all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. Also, the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed, and the rain from the sky was restrained, and the water receded steadily from the earth, and at the end of 150 days, the water decreased. Now, the chapter opens up by telling us that due to God remembering Noah and the animals on board the ark, God reversed the flow of the floodwaters on the earth. He just reversed it. God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters began to recede. Now, in addition to this, verse 2 says that the waters from beneath the earth's crust, remember the fountains of the deep? Remember how the uh, waters erupted, the earth cracked, and from under the earth the waters gushed forth. But they stopped. They stopped erupting. God caused them to stop erupting, and the rain from the sky ceased. Now, that may surprise some of you, because earlier in chapter 7, it actually says that it only rained for 40 days and nights, and yet it says here that it was 150 days that it completely stopped. You can look in verse 24 of chapter 7, just the last verse of the chapter, it says the water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. So I take it when you put it together that as the canopy that was around the earth burst open, the heavy rains, the downpour came and lasted 40 days and 40 nights, but probably there were lighter rains and drizzle or whatever just continued for 150 days, even as the earth erupted. But now they began to cease. 
the floodgates of the deep closed and the rains stopped, even the light rains. So the waters began to recede, but where did they go? Where's water going to go? It's not going to another planet. Where's it going to go? And I don't think that the winds could have caused all of the water to evaporate. And there's a lot of water here. So what happened? Well, we looked at this last week, but let's look again. Psalm 104. Psalm 104 is very, very helpful because it gives us insight about the flood. Some take it that Psalm 104 is about creation, but I think not. I think that it's more likely that it's about the flood because it speaks of a covenant that God made concerning the boundaries of the waters, and that's the same type of language that he uses in other places to speak of the flood. But Psalm 104, verses 6 through 9, Thou didst cover it with the deep as with a garment. The waters were standing above the mountains. And that's the flood. It was standing above the mountains. At thy rebuke, they fled. God, in very poetic language here, the writer is saying that he rebuked the waters. They fled. Where'd they go? At the sound of thy thunder, they hurried away. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place which thou didst establish for them. Thou didst set a boundary that they may not pass over. Now, that's the rainbow covenant, that they may not return to cover the earth. God, in other words, as I said last week, depressed the ocean floors and the water was able to drain into what we call today our oceans. The ocean floors today are much deeper than what they were before the flood. That's what happened. Yes, a wind came and there was much water that evaporated, but the waters at God's rebuke actually fled off of the earth into the depth of what we call today the oceans, the floors being much deeper And that's where the water went. So 150 days after the flood began, the water stopped and began to recede. But whatever happened to Noah's ark? Well, verse 4 tells us. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. Now, in the last few years, it's become a fascinating study to read about all the people who have supposedly seen Noah's Ark. How many of you have ever read about that? Just raise your hand. Many, many have indicated that they have spotted Noah's Ark. It would be in the mountains of Turkey today, Mount Ararat, which is actually a range of mountains, not just one mountain. Let me read to you one fascinating story about this. In 1935, a story appeared in Life Digest an Australian publication in which a Russian aviator named Vladimir Raskovsky claimed to have discovered Noah's Ark. He had been stationed in a temporary military outpost in southern Russia, just across the border from Turkey near Mount Ararat, and had been told to test one of the Russian Air Force planes. In the course of these tests, he and his co-pilot flew over Ararat and discovered on the edge of a retreating glacier what he later described as a boat comparable in size to many modern battleships. He wrote that, and I quote, it was grounded on the shore of a lake with about one-fourth of the rear end still running out into the water, and its extreme rear was three-fourths underwater. It had been partly dismantled on one side near the front, and on the other side there was a great door nearly 20 feet square, but with the door gone. 
Vladimir reported his findings to his commanding officer, and an expedition was dispatched to Ararat, which, according to the story, subsequently found the Ark, photographed it. And it goes on to say some things politically that happened, and i got to tell you that the photographs can't be found. Now, reports like these are many. In fact, there are whole books written about the quest for Noah's Ark, and there are very credible reports just like this, and they're really thrilling. They're exciting to read about, and they're fascinating. But there are some Christians who think that if we actually discover Noah's Ark and have actually solid proof, the government of Turkey, if they recognize it, and the world recognize it, there will be a tremendous missionary success stories. Many people will be converted to Christ because they will now believe in the validity of the Bible. You know what? I don't believe that. I don't believe that. And I'll tell you why. Because supernatural miracles like the flood, or archaeological findings like Noah's Ark, never can convince hardened unbelievers of the validity of Scripture. Because the problem with hardened unbelief is not a lack of evidence. The problem is rebellion and pride and self-sufficiency and self-centeredness and love of sin. And let me prove this to you from Scripture, because I don't want us to be naive about this. Do you remember the story in John chapter 11? In John chapter 11, Jesus has raised from the dead, brought back to life his friend Lazarus. Now, do you realize this? Lazarus was dead. Lazarus was stinking by this time, the Bible says. Or in that great King James language, by this time he stinketh. Lazarus stunk. Decay had begun to set in, and Jesus brought him back from the dead. Now listen, wouldn't you think that that would have convinced people? Do you know the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders said, this man, meaning Christ, is doing signs. If we don't do something, the whole nation's going to believe in him. So it says that they plotted to kill him. Could you imagine? You think that hardened unbelief would say, wow, he's raising people from the dead. We better believe in him. But they weren't. They weren't convinced of their need for Christ because evidence is not the issue. And I want you to see something very important. Turn in the New Testament to Luke chapter 16. I just want to nail this down in your own minds and hearts. Because Luke chapter 16 is a great illustration of this. It's the story of another man named Lazarus, not the same one in John 11, and a rich man. The true believer Lazarus went to be with the Lord and the rich man went to be in Hades. Not because he was wealthy, but because he was an unbeliever. And he's in torment in Hades. In fact, it's a sobering thought to think that that man is still in torment in Hades. He's been there for over 2,000 years. Because I don't believe this is a parable. And parable does not use names of people. But names are used here. Luke chapter 16, verse 27. And this man said to Father Abraham, He said, I beg you, Father Abraham, that you send him, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So he's saying, look, I'm in torment, it's too late for me, but send Lazarus back so that he might warn my family. Verse 29, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. In other words, they don't need a miracle, they have the word of God. Let them hear the word of God. But he said, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. What an incredible miracle. Someone rises from the dead. 
But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. You know what Jesus was saying? He was speaking, of course, of his own resurrection, which wasn't far off. What Jesus was saying is this, people who aren't convinced enough to believe in Christ because of what the Bible says won't be convinced because of a miracle as great as even the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. They won't be. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So please don't be concerned about finding Noah's Ark. You know what? If we find it, fine. If we don't, fine. I don't think it's going to have any great impact on unbelievers. I think it might strengthen perhaps the faith of believers. But even then, we don't need to find Noah's Ark to believe that it was there. We know it was there. Why? Because we walk by faith in the word of God and not by sight. If I read tomorrow that there was an expedition and they absolutely have Noah's Ark, I'll say, great. I knew it was there all along. You know, probably preserved because of the ice and all of that. So going back to Genesis 8, we know that 150 days after the flood began, Noah's Ark came to a rest on Mount Ararat. And as I said before, it's not actually one mountain. I mean, it's one mountain that it stopped on, but Ararat is really a mountain range. It's a mountain chain that actually extends for hundreds of miles. But even though the ark was now on solid ground, Noah and the occupants on the ark could not disembark. And I'll tell you why. Verse 5. And the water decreased steadily until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Between verses 4 and 5 is actually a period of two and a half months. It's 74 days because verse 4 speaks of the seventh month, the 17th day. Verse 5 speaks of the 10th month, the first day. So there were two and a half months in between. So for two and a half months after resting on Mount Ararat, two and a half months later, they could see the tops of the nearby lower mountains. So their ark was on solid ground, but there was water all around them and they couldn't disembark. And it took two and a half months later for them to even begin to see the tops of the lower mountains. They must have been on the high mountain in that mountain range. So they had to wait for the water level to go down. No dry land for them to get out, even though their boat was settled. So they had to wait. And that's what verses 6 through 12 tell us about their waiting. Then it came about at the end of 40 days, verse 6, that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent out a raven, and it flew here and there until the water was dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the water was abated from the face of the land. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, so she returned to him into the ark, for the water was on the surface of all the earth. Then he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark to himself. So he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark. And the dove came back to him toward evening, and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth. Then he waited yet another seven days, and he sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again. Forty days later, we learn Noah is still in the ark. Forty days after verse 5 tells us. Noah's still in the ark, and so he opens the window 40 days later, and he sends out a raven to check out the environment. But the raven, I don't know if you realize this, the raven is a scavenger bird. You probably do know that. And it just flew around disgustingly feeding on dead carcass, floating in the water. 
There's a question in the Hebrew about this. Did he go back and forth between the ark and the waterways where the animals were? I think the thought here is that he didn't return to the ark. He just landed on dead animals and fed off of them. Kind of a disgusting picture. Therefore, Noah sent out another bird, a dove. He sent out the dove to see if the ground was dry. And that's very smart of him because a dove naturally inhabits the valleys and not mountaintops. So if the water was down low enough, the dove would go down into the valleys. But we learn that the dove returned. So seven days later, Noah sent the dove out again, and it returned with an olive leaf in its mouth, meaning that the trees were beginning to grow again as the waters were decreasing. One week later, the dove was sent out again, and it did not return, meaning that the valleys now were dry enough for her to land. Now, folks, do you realize, and I said this before, but let me put it chronologically, that Noah has spent, at this time, 285 days in the ark. How good are you at waiting? For a red light? A railroad crossing? The checkout line at the grocery store? I do wonder what Noah and his family did and thought as they waited for the floodwaters to subside. As the ark lurched to a halt on Ararat, I'm sure they were hopeful that they would be out of the ark very soon. But there was more waiting to do. I also had this thought. You know, I've been on an ocean-going ferry boat before, and I've been seasick. I wonder if anyone in Noah's family struggled with that. Well, this has been a very interesting study, and we have much more to learn about from our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, and the account of Noah and the Flood, taken from Genesis. If you would like more information about Lakeside Community Chapel, where Steve is the pastor, I would encourage you to surf over to lakesidechapel.com. I'm looking forward to our next lesson on Noah and the Flood, and I hope you can join us then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.